Good afternoon, listeners, or rather, good noon. I'm recording this at exactly 12 p.m. <laughs> Central Time. Um, good morning, if you're in California, as half of this podcast is. Um, yes. I'm your host, Will Brost, and joining me from the West Coast is Patrick Anderson. How are you? Nice uh, rhyming there. I, I've got... That was, some, that was some Eminem Maltese that's, kind of that's level. Right. My, my pen game is pretty crazy. But, you know, I've been working on my, my bars, so... Um, yeah, and I like the flow of that too. Just <laughs> very deliberate and conversational. <laughs> yeah, it was so nonchalant. Um, today's a big day for our podcast. Uh, it's an exciting episode, in my opinion. We are sharing our fifteen favorite songs of the twenty tens as a decade. How many songs were released over the past ten years? Well, a lot, and That's, each of us took yeah. fifteen. We said these are the 15 that matter to us the most. Uh, one song per artist, or at least I did that. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if you did. I just did 15 Drake songs. <laughs> <laughs> should should be a great podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I did one per artist. Too. <laughs> okay, all right. So just like our top 15 songs of the uh, of 2019 podcast, we are going to alternate once we get to our top 10. We'll begin by briefly shouting out our numbers 15 through 11 just for time constraints. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, you want to get into it? Let's do it. All right. Uh, who do you want to go first? I'm giving um, you the I option. I can go first this time if you want. Okay. All right, Patrick, what are your 15 through 11 songs of the 2010s? Right. Yeah, this is exciting. So, yes, kicking it off at number 15, we have Tame Impala with Let It Happen. Nice, nice. Uh, moving on from there, we got Fleet Foxes with Helplessness Blues, mm. uh, War on Drugs with Under the Pressure, A Tribe Called Quest, We the People, oh, nice. and then finally, uh, Destroyer with Kaput. That, that was incredible. That, yeah, that was a great set of five. Um, yeah, it, this has been such a hard list to make. Yeah, this is where we're starting off at. No, no filler at all on on this uh, on this playlist. Absolutely no filler, and all of yours had like a really epic feel to them, or at least they're they're somewhat long. Yeah, that's true. Um, kind of grandiose, true, yeah. grandiose a little bit. My, uh, yeah, especially the back three, yeah. Yes, yeah, like to put under the pressure. Yeah, those are excellent, excellent tracks. Good choices, mm -hmm. Patrick. Thanks. My, uh, my number 15 through 11, I'll run through real quick as well. Uh, my number 15 is the rapper Isaiah Rashad with the song Heavenly Father uh, featuring SZA. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a smooth, introspective song that touches on his depression and the lack of fatherly guidance in his life, fatherly being both his biological father and his god. Uh, my number 14 is Tightrope, which is the breakout hit from the multi-talented Janelle Monet. This is a fun song. It's colorful, soulful, danceable, funky. Uh, it has a lot of swagger to it. It pushes pop music forward while also recalling elements of James Brown and Prince. Great big boy feature here as well. My number 13 is uh, Death Grips with hacker oh nice yeah hacker is um a song that will not be for everybody but those that have an open mind might be able to appreciate 
the memorable quotables on this song, as well as the unconventional catchiness and the batshit crazy production. <laughs> <laughs> From that, we go to a more serene song. Uh, number 12 is uh, probably the best dream pop song of the decade, Myth by Beach House. Nice. Yeah, it's it's instantly memorable. It's intoxicating. It's beautiful. Absolutely lovely song. Um, I think of all the songs on my list, this is probably the one that has a closest to a near one hundred percent approval rating. It's just super accessible. Mm-hmm. My number eleven song is the one that I recently named my number one song of twenty nineteen. Something to believe by Wise Blood. Uh, nice. I mean, I'm not sure what I can say now that I didn't. There, it's lush, gorgeous. Has one of my favorite choruses ever. Love the lyrical themes of lost motivation, existentialism, the search for meaning, all of that. So there you go. Nice. That's awesome. That's a, a great back half, too. Yeah, it's a, when you get Death Grips and Beach House back to back, that's going to be an interesting list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I'm excited. I am, too. All right. Let's, uh, let's get into it. What is your number 10? Number 10, kicking off the biggest part of the list. Yes. We have one of my favorite artists of the decade. Um, even though they put out an album very recently that was sort of lackluster, still just one of the most important artists of the decade, Arcade Fire, mm. with Sprawl 2, yes. Mountains Beyond Mountains. Great. Uh, yeah, this one was a hard one to, to do, uh, picking from... Um, great songs on suburbs great songs on reflector um but uh sprawl 2 was just ultimately the standout um halfway because of its just absolutely engaging danceable like super ethereal and uh grand production that i loved um it's very freeing sounding uh instrumentals on this on this track um, and the lyrics to it too are also very freeing in a way. It's just it's pretty simple for the most part. Basically, like um, you know, the concept of suburbs uh, it is basically about the suburbs, about living in this uh, dead end sort of like routine filled area that you're expected to do certain things. And not push against any boundaries and you know that kind of stuff very relatable um, very relatable kind of concept and sprawl 2 kind of brings everything to a head where uh, the narrator is really freeing themselves and they don't care anymore about like the the expectations of others and they're actually living like in a way that's like sort of that teenage angst of like breaking free from social norms but in a way that's not like super extravagant really what they're doing is just like recognizing that they don't want to be a part of this anymore um and there's a lot of emotion there's a lot of sadness and happiness to it as well so it's a very emotionally uh fulfilling track as well as just being like oddly danceable um so yeah i love this track uh number 10 there it is great fantastic choice um it it almost made my list i definitely considered it um mm. but but well said by you a uh, great case there no no disagreements on my end um nice yeah it, it's it's odd because it's i feel like that song is 
much different than a lot of the songs on Suburbs, but it's the one that yeah. kind of sticks with me the most. Yeah, it's like that one and I think, you know, Ready to Start stick with me the most, but this one is the most distinct, I think, and that's what makes it, yeah, that's what makes it kind of just jump out of the pack. Absolutely, absolutely agreed. Yeah. Uh, my number 10 is probably the most abstract song in my top 10, so it, it, it'll only get more accessible from here. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, so my number 10 is Crocodile Tears, which is the song that got me into one of my favorite musicians of the decade, Billy Woods. Um, he is a, nice. a hip-hop artist who has this remarkable consistency, uh, um, which has resulted in one of my favorite discographies of the entire decade. Just about everything he puts out I think is great. Uh, Crocodile Tears is one of Billy's most aggressive songs, both in delivery and in the production. This beat is... It's pretty crazy by Billy Wood standards. Uh, from the very beginning, you get distortion, eeriness, and this like threatening yell sample laced into the beat, just like ah, like and it just comes up every mm. every four lines or so. It's great. I love the electric guitar interpolations on this song as well. The chorus is one of Billy's catchiest, uh, it, and it pays homage to I suppose a classic Muddy Waters song. But as always, what attracts me to this Billy Woods song are his captivating, booming delivery and his um, unconventional approach to lyricism. He has this commanding voice. He kind of sounds like if Jizza the Genius from Wu-Tang was just pissed off at the world. Um, mm. And his flow is, I guess it flows, but it's closer to spoken word. Here, it, his flow is a little more traditional than usual, but he's still saying things in ways that only he can. Um, on this song, he talks about you know, religion, uh, the government, and his hip-hop contemporaries. I love like the line that kicks the song off. He says, um, 32 bars on how to rob and kill your neighbors. You still got the nerve to ask God to save you. I love that. Um, so he has great two-liners on here, but he also has this wonderful extended passage i suppose in the second half centered around a person's life falling apart after chasing his dream and failing um, he uses a basketball example but in general this is a reality that can apply to many situations so he begins that by like detailing a basketball player's success in high school um that unfortunately leads to failure when he plays better competition in junior college. Um, and then he says, I have it written down here, Rob, take a Dutch off the block, slip back in that roll like old slippers, game on tilt, working them flippers, start slowing down, the past will get with you, five on five, nobody picked you, ain't no next, you out the picture, brown bagging liquor, you and her bicker, Life crawling by the bottom of the screen like a news ticker. At least you tried. So, yeah, like, no one really says things like that, and that's why I love Billy yeah. Woods. I just adore his unique, poetic lyricism. Uh, he's just the best. I could read this entire song, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, shout out to Billy yeah. Woods, Crocodile Tears, number 10. That's awesome. I don't think yeah. I've heard that song. I think I've heard of it, but I don't think I've actually listened to it. It's from a, his 2012 album, so it's pretty early. Oh, uh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it, though. It's I definitely recommend. 
Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, all right. Move on to number nine then. Um, so my number nine is one that I've talked about very recently. Um, it was my number one album or no, <laughs> my number one. It's, it's the entire album. What a song. No, it's the, my, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's my number one song of, uh, of 2019 with mm-hmm. uh, purple mountains mm-hmm. with nights that won't happen um yeah i mean i can't really say much more about it than what i said at the end of the year but i just want to reiterate how like absolutely powerful the lyricism is on this and um i just like it's stuck with me very very heavily throughout the year um it's weird to put a 2019 pick into a decade list but i mean this song is just so powerful and the context of david burns passing is like um, so tragic that it feels very important it feels like there's a real heavy message uh in this to be you know taken um and then you know instrumentally it's just absolutely gorgeous um the backing vocals are sublime and really supportive sounding and then you know david berman's uh singing is very you know nonchalant and but it's very heavy and like emotive and you can feel just like the tiredness and uh, and weight of his delivery so it's something that's really you know honestly very hard to listen to in a way but it's also like since it's not very inaccessible like instrumentally or vocally it's also very nice to listen to in a way and the lyrics are oddly peaceful and beautiful because it's somebody that's basically just like quietly reflecting on death in a way that sounds like they've been doing for their whole life um so it's emotive philosophically very very thoughtful um and you know it means just as much to me now as it did the first time i heard it and i think that it's gonna definitely stand the test of time as the as it as the years go by so yeah i don't really have much more to say about it because they just talked about it so recently but i mean it's an amazing track um yeah yeah hard to disagree with that um yeah i will add you know that song floored me when i first heard it um so in a vacuum it's devastating and then obviously with additional context it's even more so right so yeah i mean just a just a tragically beautiful song um Mm -hmm. great pick my my number nine is um not you know it's you know it's it's still on serious issues but it's it's a little lighter especially in instrumentation Mm. um it's digital witness from Mm. exactly yeah from art rock musician annie clark also known as saint vincent not exactly right. sure what art rock is, but uh, I like the term. So I feel like that's another one that can be just thrown around, <laughs> like same with like neo. Like art can just be placed on this. It's exactly anything right. semi-experimental, <laughs> right? Oh, it's art rock. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, digital witness by Saint Vincent. Uh, sonically, this song is immediately reminiscent of Talking Heads. Um, Mm -hmm. like at the time of recording, she was just coming off a collaborative record with David Byrne. So perhaps that's why we're hearing that influence here. 
Um, and like many great Talking Heads songs, it, this has a wonky, fun instrumental. It's funky. It's full of brass, which you know I love. The horns are mm-hmm. great on this song, and they do a lot of the lifting here. This is a very horn-centric song. I, I really enjoy the use of the synth as well, um, especially during the final chorus where it kind of takes the lead. It's not the most demanding vocal melody I've ever heard from Annie Clark, but it's it's enjoyable and, and charming nonetheless. Um, it, it, she just has a naturally great vocal tone that I always enjoy listening to. So the aesthetic qualities of this song are obviously pretty great all around. That's not unexpected because St. Vincent is the queen of aesthetic. She's she's great in that regard. Um, but, I, you know, this song's here for its lyrical content, and I think you know that. This is a song about the, the negative aspects of social media and, and selfie culture, uh, obviously a big part of this decade. And, and yes, I know this sounds a little like we live in a society or whatever, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, think the, uh, I think it's approached pretty tastefully here. Um, the chorus reads, Digital witness, what is the point of even sleeping? If I can't show it, if you can't see me, what's the point of doing anything? Now, granted, this was before Twitch, I think. You know, you can definitely stream yourself sleeping at this point. That's just where we are with technology now. But, mm-hmm. the, <laughs> but the point of the chorus... In fact, people have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, they will just stream themselves yeah. for 24 hours. Um so, but but the point stands. It, it it's a song about constantly seeking validation from others while you're, quote unquote, living your life. Um, I I've been guilty of that myself at times, especially earlier in the decade. I've cut back from social media over the past couple of years. Uh, part of that is, uh, just social media is not good. That's a hot take. Uh, but part of that is you know the the kind of messaging I hear from this song and from other artists who have expressed similar similar opinions um so yeah it, I, I really like the the theme here i like the lyric in the second chorus where she says watch me jump off the london bridge which to me is like a double meaning one being hey look at me everybody i'm jumping off a bridge smash that like yeah. button and then the other meaning being that this social media centric lifestyle is a depressing life draining experience so, yeah, great lyrics, great instrumentation, great song. St. Vincent, Digital Witness, number nine. That's awesome. Great pick. Great analysis of that, too. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, I like those those tracks that uh, that do those, uh, like, social media and selfie culture sort of analysis, but um, it can get hairy. You're right. Yeah. Like, it, it's <laughs> a fine line between, like, very poignant, thoughtful analysis of it and like the edgiest you know, thing yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the most boomery thing like we used to read books like hey, <laughs> do you know why they're called cell phones because they trap you in a jail yeah. cell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah so yeah oh god nice <laughs> by cool. a lesser artist this song would have been like on the my worst list but yeah. it's saint vincent yeah. so she she does a great job <laughs> yeah exactly great work Thank you. Uh, cool. All right, number eight. Uh, this one was my number one pick of 2018, mm. um, and it still holds up today, and has like 
just as much energy and raw passion. Um, it's daughters with mm. Satan and weight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this song is pretty incredible. There is like a very violent conceptual nature to it that like also serves in a way as sort of a cautionary tale of like uh, mental illness in a way of just like this narrative of a man who's basically like broken down to a point where like he can't like the only thing he can really control is this false narrative of um, he has some sort of mission um, and it ultimate, ultimately like pans out to what seems like him being a part of some sort of like maybe violent cult kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's interpretations that could be made about it, but I feel, I feel like that's kind of the more like the, the one that I kind of side with a little bit is this guy, um, finding solace in, uh, basically a group that wants to commit violent acts to fit their narrative of what they think society should work be like and that and that is also being orchestrated by satan himself um and that's why like look this chorus is being report or repeated over and over of their bodies are open their channels are open the world is opening up because satan is waiting to basically make his return i mean it's a really (laughs) fucked up song with oddly beautiful instrumentation that's uh sprinkled throughout um the vocals are not you know lovely in any way they're very aggressive and very violent and the performance is amazing but um yeah it's there's a weird juxtaposition uh with the shimmery shiny uh uh, melodic guitar work on this with just this really (laughs) fucked up (laughs) narrative of a man who has just broken down to the point of he'll try anything in order to make his life make sense in a way that, you know, he perceives reality. Um, and that in turn is basically being orchestrated by Satan. But like, um, yeah, it's a, it's a messed up song, but I think that it, it holds a lot of weight in terms of like, um, showing, showing mental illness in a very uh, harrowing but realistic way. Like it's, a, it's very uh, extreme, but that paints a picture of somebody that's like, yeah, you can kind of see, you know, it's that, it's that cautionary tale, the, it's that Joker cautionary tale kind of thing. Mm. Um, don't glamorize it, but don't, don't uh, discount it either. It's uh, so, you know, it. I I love this. I love this track. I think they did an excellent job painting this picture, and uh, it's yeah, it's fantastic. Well done. Very very good uh, summary of that. That's a that's a great song. Um, yeah. Yeah. Another hard to listen to, but easy to listen to. Weirdly. Yes. Yes. So I mean, I went from the edgy concept of social media bad and then <laughs> right. you you followed that up with satan so yeah with the edgy concept of satan <laughs> um we no. truly do live in a society <laughs> that's great 
my my number eight is uh, another art rock song. Believe it or not, art rock is the only genre that matters right now. There's science <laughs> right, rock. Terrible. There's art rock. Uh, it's it's Hey Jane from the band Spiritualized. Oh, nice. This is the only song in, on my entire list where I haven't heard the entire record. This is the only song I've heard from uh, this Spiritualized album. Uh, so I don't know why I haven't gone to it. It's my number eight song of the decade. I should probably listen to the yeah. full album, right? So Hey Jane is the longest song on my list at nearly nine minutes in length. I expect longer songs on your list, but we'll see. This is a classic three-act rock song with an energetic beginning, uh, an instrumental breakdown, and a reemergence slash climax at the end. Do you remember rock music, by the way? It's been a really long decade. This was in 2012, <laughs> back when there was rock music. <laughs> right, yeah. Real music. <laughs> that is, that's, we've had too many boomer takes already. This is... <laughs> I, I know. We were like, every every track, we're like, all right, let's throw one piece in there. <laughs> so so uh, throughout Hey Jane, we're given uh, garage rock riffs, these lovely backing vocals, pulsating drums, uh, moments of chaos, and instrumentation that has a somewhat spacey aspect to it, as is typical of spiritualized. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's this three-act structure, and narratively it fits that as well. This song is about a woman named Jane, as hinted at in the song title. Uh, in the beginning, during like the punk-inspired, uh, fast-paced section of the song, Jane is on the, the highs of drug use. Uh, she's living on the edge, or as the narrator suggests, she's running fast but going nowhere. Uh, he keeps asking, hey Jane, where are you going today? As if to inquire about her fast-paced, unpredictable lifestyle. Then the chaotic instrumental breakdown happens, which perhaps signifies a, a tipping point in the drug addiction, like maybe she's gone too far this time. So after the breakdown, we're given a slow instrumental buildup, and the lyrical focus of the song shifts to the downsides of Jane's addiction. Oh, I just got that, Jane's addiction. Wow. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> wow. Maybe a little on the nose, or maybe I just figured that out. Man, I'm you had sure. to give away my number seven pick. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry, okay. No, no, you're, no that was good. Uh, so she's in pain uh, during this. I, I, At least I picture this. Uh, she's not doing well. The question shifts to, hey, Jane, when are you going to die? Uh, the drugs are clearly messing with her at this point in the song. The garage rock instrumentation is building, and it's building, and it ultimately reaches this like unexpectedly gorgeous climax given the first seven minutes of this song. Uh, in my interpretation, this represents Jane's ascent into the afterlife because this is truly a heavenly moment, in my opinion. Uh, the climax is so well done. I get chills. It, it's worth the entire song. I mean, the song sounds great throughout, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's a solid payoff. Now, one interpretation of the lyrics are literal, that this is actually a story about drug addiction. Another interpretation I've seen is that it's all a metaphor for a destructive relationship, which I can see as well. Uh, regardless, I'm into it, uh, and that's pretty much all I have to say on that. So, Spiritualized, Hey Jane, number eight. Awesome pick. Yeah, love that song. Yeah, that's great. I heard the uh, Space Rock also with uh, 
with spiritualized too. Yes. Like take that for whatever, <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah, I think they're the only space rock band. Uh, this song does sound yeah. different than "Ladies and Gentlemen." We're floating in space, but there are elements to it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, totally. It's art rock and space rock nice. and whatever else you want to call it. Space art. Yeah. <laughs> space art. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's your right, number cool. seven? Yeah. Not actually Jane's Addiction. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Surprisingly, but no, that's not, it didn't quite make the cut. Um, This is from an artist that we have not talked uh, like very positively. We haven't talked super negatively about, but not super positively about in what feels like a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm glad to talk about them positively in this light of Bon Iver Mm. with Calgary. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it was a tough one, like picking from. I love this album. Um, I love a lot of tracks on this, but this is the standout one for me, I think. Um, it's got just this instrumentally, it's this very, like, starts off a very just hazy kind of uh, ethereal and dark. Um, mood kind of very like rainy and foggy mood but like and these muffled uh, organs and stuff like that that are very cozy in a way but they feel like uh, thoughtful and introspective too and then it moves forward slowly until you end up at a completely different place and everything's very grand and emotional and uh, cathartic and there's a lot of like really nice horns and it, uh, the guitar work is like very grand and uh, muffled in a way too. There's a lot of like that muffled aesthetic to it that I really, really like a lot. Um, and it works. Uh, it creates it creates an anthemic track that's also very like insular and closed in, and that's a very interesting sound to me. Um, so instrumentally, it's just uh, like fantastic. It's a simple structure, but it's executed like goddamn near perfectly um and then lyrically it's fantastic this is something that i've missed from boni bear over the past few years it's just like the poetry from justin vernon seems like it's uh started to get a little too self-referential and a little too uh self-serious be but on this track it's taking a simple concept like a relationship and bringing out just beautiful imagery and uh, very interestingly structured phrases um, to create like some like a, <laughs> something that could branch off into a ton of different theories about what it what the relationship actually means. But to me, what I feel like it is is like um, and someone who's older. A couple who is much older, nearing the end of their natural life, really reflecting on the good and bad aspects of what the relationship has been, and ultimately ending up on like this idea of, or well, this this fact of like no matter what, they have stuck through it and they're happy that you know all, all the, throughout all of the pain and everything that this this has lasted it's a really gorgeous track um and it has just like some really like evocative imagery to it in the instruments and the lyrics it's fantastic i love this track 
That's awesome. I, I considered putting Holocene on my list, but yes, it's a, that's another it's a, fantastic one for yeah, this and album. As is Calgary, and and that that self titled album is, I would say, the best Boney Bear album. That's probably my take. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's. So, I agree with that one. Yeah, great choice, fantastic choice. Uh, slightly unexpected, but a, a good a good pick nonetheless. Um, yes, my number seven. We're going from the longest song on my list to the shortest. This is Geyser from indie singer-songwriter Mitski. Right, yeah. So this was like my number two or my number three in 2018, um, but it, it still has yeah. serious impact. Um, it's, it's just two and a half minutes in length. Uh, Geyser is a master class on how to seamlessly blend a lot of musical ideas in a brief time frame. This is somehow a four-part song, Given its time structure, it's kind of mind-boggling to me. Um, the first part is this somewhat eerie, atmospheric ballad portion. There's a little bit of distorted static here and there. And then it, it leads into a brief, and I, I keep using the word brief. Every section on this song is brief. Um, but it leads into this section right. during which the the instrumentation opens up and the drums kick in. The guitars come in. They're soaring. Uh, you feel momentum gaining the third section, even more momentum. It's a little fuzzier. It's more aggressive at this point. Uh, there's a slight tension to it, as if a moment of relief is going to come, and sure enough, it does. The The finale of this song, I'm, again, I'm using the word finale. Like, this is a minute and a half into the song. Uh, it sounds, mm -hmm. it's almost like celebratory and festive. Uh, horns are added to the mix. The potential of this song is now fully realized each of these moments flawlessly transitions to the next it establishes a mood subverts it and climaxes in two and a half minutes this is some of the most efficient songwriting i've heard all decade not a single second is wasted on this song i'm glued the entire time it's a great album opener mitski's voice throughout sounds beautiful mm -hmm. uh, the instrumentation's fantastic Lyrically, it's intentionally vague. Uh, Mitski has said so herself. It's a superb example of songwriting, and it's the kind of song that if you are a songwriter, I would recommend you check out because I think there's a thing or two to learn about how to structure, how to transition, how to keep your decisions concise. Um, so yeah, my number seven song, Mitski with Geyser. And I don't even know what like her most what her best songs are supposed to be according to the consensus, but that's the one that stuck with mm -hmm. me. So, yeah, that's a very interesting pick in terms of, uh, I mean, I think that that one is like, definitely it's an amazing song and it's regarded as a great song for sure. among Mitski fans, but mm -hmm. yeah, it, like it, even out of that album, I feel like nobody's the right. standout for most people. Yeah. And that's a good song too. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, yeah. keep, I keep coming back to geyser even now. So, and I, I say that like this wasn't just in 2018, but yes. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> even today, two years that's later. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Can> you imagine. <laughs> so yeah. Thank you. That's an awesome pick. I, I did not it. expect that one, but that's awesome. And that's the thing. I didn't expect it either. When I put this list together, I'm like, what is this list? But I, I love it and I stand by it. So there you go. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, speaking of unexpected, Ooh. this is actually very probably expected. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hell of a transition. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> 
Um, <laughs> this is probably pretty expected from, uh, you know, anybody that understands my music taste or whatever. Mm. Not sure if, not as, not sure if you expected this one, um, to hmm. be the song chosen from this artist in this album, but uh, it's Gorillas with nice. "On Melancholy Hill." Great, awesome, um, fantastic. A lot of really good tracks from that album, but this is the uh, this is the standout one. Uh, yeah, I mean, Plastic Beach is an amazing project conceptually. Um, you know, I love a good concept album. Yes, and Plastic Beach does a fantastic job with their uh, conceptual um ideas um and this you know carries on into melancholy hill with you know the idea of a, a dystopian environment that's made out of severe pollution and there's plastic there's you know literally a plastic tree that is uh grown out of a hill called melancholy hill <laughs> um so the all, all the imagery is very clear and um, I love that it, it, it paints this picture of, uh, of of this other world, which I like. There's an escapist view of this song, but it's also, I think, on that album, it is probably the standout track in terms of like it could fit anywhere in terms of like on uh, on a gorilla's like discography or anything because while it does have this narrative of Plastic Beach's whole concept. It also just has, I mean, it's basically about anxiety and depression in a way that fits in all sorts of contexts. Um, and I think that the lyrics are, they're very simple. It's basically just two verses. Um, and, you know, the instrumentation does most of the heavy lifting. And it's a very simple instrumentation. And it's just that super catchy, um, very like, bright but also very subdued melancholic you know um, back and forth uh, between the the synths and it captures just this aesthetic of melancholy in a way that i don't think a lot of uh a lot of tracks especially a lot of like more popular indie tracks have been able to do this decade um because while melancholy is definitely associated with depression and sadness and everything there is also in a way some sort of gratifying nature to it and i think that that's what melancholy hill really captures aesthetically is just this sort of like pleasantness to feeling this way right and i and and, and you know i think that that speaks volumes about it um while you know and and beyond that just i love the concept of it so it's just that yeah this is one of the tracks that i loved when i first you know was listening to it in high school and it mean it meant something a little different to me then and it means something a little different to me now but um i still love it that's that's awesome i fell in love with that song and album in high school it was 2010 mm -hmm. And that was one of the standouts for sure, no doubt. Yeah. Different era. Yes, it seriously feels like a different era. Um, <laughs> Throw out a different boomer take. <laughs> <laughs> yep, different era. They just don't make music like that anymore. They don't. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so, uh, great pick. Um, my, my number six uh, 
is another 2018 song. This was my number one song of 2018, Total Football, um, from nice. from Parquet Courts, the indie art punk band. Got to keep throwing in art when I can. I, I love <laughs> the energy of this song. Uh, we're given a confident bass line. We're given this, this uh, very uh, energetic, I guess, guitar lead and rugged, passionate vocals from Andrew Savage. Andrew Savage, the kind of musician mm-hmm. name that can only be associated with, like, raw punk music. Um, I mean, I, I would love to hear, like, an Andrew Savage ambient record. I guess that could be interesting. I don't <laughs> right, know. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, it, so, yeah, the sonic aspects of this song, they're fantastic throughout. I particularly enjoy the bridge, which makes me want to jump into a mosh pit and just... Ah, you know, just let it all out. Um, mm-hmm. But because this is a punk song, there is room for rebellious lyricism as well. The term total football refers to a soccer strategy in which every player, except for the goalie, every other player uh, can play every other position on the field. It, it prioritizes teamwork over individual performance. But, you know, of course, this isn't really a song about soccer. It's a song about translating the total football concept into our everyday life. They're not talking about soccer players per se. They're talking about workers, authors, teachers, uh, blue-collar workers, etc. It's about mm-hmm. uniting everyone in order to fight oppression. And I've read the lyrics to the song's outro on this podcast twice already, but I'm going to do so again because this is a great summary of the song's lyrical theme. Uh, Andrew Savage shouts this passage. I'm just going to read it. Swapping parts and roles is not acting, but rather emancipation from expectation. Collectivism and autonomy are not mutually exclusive. Those who find discomfort in your goals of liberation will be issued no apology and fuck Tom Brady. So, (laughs) as you can tell, this outro is about how we can and should work together without losing our autonomy. And this outro is also about fuck Tom Brady. So, in this context, Mm. fuck Tom Brady is not like, oh, he... I hate the Patriots. They're good. Yeah, deflate gate. He wears that pea coat. It's not that. Like, it's, it's about fuck what Tom Brady represents. Uh, teamwork and unity, the themes of this song, uh, they're in opposition with the narrative that Tom Brady um, can alone by himself lead an entire team to victory. It's not true. It's just the narrative of Tom Brady. Even Tom Brady needs help from coaches and fellow teammates. But we glorify this sort of individual excellence. So Andrew Savage said this himself. He says, I don't hate Tom Brady as an individual. There's Tom Brady, the symbol, which is what I'm talking about. The lone wolf, alpha male, quarterback idea of traditional independent American masculinity that we are all rejecting in this song. Every sport has their Tom Brady. Every civilization has their Tom Brady. And I really like that quote. I really like this song. He could have used Aaron Rodgers and he didn't, which is good because I'm a Packers fan, and I really appreciate that. But I suppose Tom Brady is the most successful quarterback ever, so it makes sense. Um, yeah, Total Football, my number six song of the 2010s, Parquet Courts. Just a fantastic punk track. And the last thing I'll say is this is the first song I've heard 
or that I heard from this album because it is the opening track and I was already a fan of the band. And when I saw that Danger Mouse was producing this album, I was a little hesitant to press play because he, I think he has a tendency to make things safe, enjoyable, but safe. And that's not what I want in a punk record. Um, but it, it absolutely delivers in that, that raw aspect of it. So yeah, shout out to them. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you. I love your, I, I love, I love when you read that. That's always like a, a fantastic. <laughs> I've done that yeah. like three times. Anytime I can say fuck Tom Brady on the podcast, that's so, right, something yeah. I try to do. <laughs> the context isn't always there, but sometimes it is. And so it, I had yeah. to take advantage. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, cool. Top nice. five Good transition Patrick. too. Yeah. Social, yeah. Social context on your last pick with that. Yes. Um, moving into the top five with one of the most prominent social political songs of the decade, if not, you know, the social political song of the decade. I have um, an idea. Kendrick Lamar. Yes. What's that? Uh, no, I was going to say. Oh. I think I know. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> just kind of ruined it right there Kendrick Lamar with All Right yes um, I think I named this my number one song of 2015 whenever we did that podcast yeah yeah um, that sounds right like that was like when we first started I think yes um, and it shows <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um, and I think I, you know I, I think that that was like a fairly safe bet and you know but I think I would still stand by that because this song is really incredible in a lot of different ways. Um, musically speaking, it's, you know, just very innovative. There's a lot of like really um, interesting jazzy moments that are placed throughout it. The, I mean, the like production of like this very weird warpy funky kind of, uh, beats to it and the drums also on this are just so like like kind of like uh like puddly in a way if that makes sense mm -hmm. um where they just splash and every it's like very fascinating uh color to this uh to the instrumentals on this it's very engaging and and focused and really gives you like uh, a lot of energy so you know instrumentally that's it's stellar already it, you know we're, we're we've already established that kendrick's delivery on this is fantastic and this was uh one of the i mean we had good kid mad city and you saw like how passionate and uh and focused and fiery he could bring his lyrics but this one is in a way of where it feels like he's really leading a rebellion and you can kind of get that you get that feeling from him. You get that engaged feeling like, yeah, you really want to go out and try to change things um, just from the like measured, uh, the measured way that he's, you know, delivering all these lyrics. Um, so that's fantastic as well. And then lyrically, it's at just, you know, a very poignant view of, political uh un political uh, upset and I don't, it's not for political frustration mm -hmm. in the african-american community and in lower class communities all across the board in america police brutality especially amongst black people um and 
ultimately a very uplifting chorus mm-hmm. of everything's going to be okay. Like we will get through this. We've been through like so much. We'll get through this as well. Um, it, it's not in a way that's like, you know, be complacent and, and be like grateful and be like, you know, for whatever it's like, look, like we have the tools, we'll get through this, like, just believe in me. And that's like where I was saying Kendrick Lamar sounds like, uh, um, somebody leading something. That's that, that's the qualities of a leader right there. Somebody that recognizes the situation, how dire it is and still provides some sort of hope, um, that, things can move forward and you will accomplish like what you set out to do. So, and you know, and then in context with this, um, during all of these horrible police shootings of, you know, a lot of innocent black kids, this was the chant. The chorus was the chant that people would use to protest these things. And so, uh, you know, it kind of just became, synonymous with the black lives matter movement i mean there's a lot of context to this outside of the music that makes it so important and uh and then you know just distilling it down to the music it's a fucking awesome song so it's like you know there's something different about this track that uh you don't find a lot in the world of music and uh yeah so there it is can't Very really nice. see myself. Very nice. Well said. Uh, you know I love that song, that album. Um, the best of both worlds. Got the social commentary on point and the aesthetics on point. Just yeah. can't go wrong. Um, yeah, fantastic. Very nice. My my number five. Uh, we're transitioning from one Top Dog Entertainment rapper signee to another. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. from one label mate to another. My number five is The Book of Soul an introspective song from rapper Absol. Have you ever heard this song? I don't think so. Okay, it came out in 20... You're familiar with Absol, though, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this this came out in, like, 2012 or something like that. This song has a smooth, jazzy instrumental, and that's all I'm going to say about the sonic aspects of this song because the lyrics are by far the biggest takeaway here. This is one of the most emotional hip-hop songs I have ever heard. Um, the song title, The Book of Soul, is a play on the biblical book, The Book of Job. For those who are unaware, the premise of The Book of Job centers around Job, a morally good, blessed man. Satan suggests to God that Job is only devout because God has blessed him, right? Thus, God grants Satan permission to kill Job's children and take his possessions, among other things, in order to test its faith. Nonetheless, Job remains pious, and God rewards Job by giving him back all of his blessings. That is essentially the, the book of Job. It's a little longer than right. that, but that's the summary. Um, the book of Soul is Absol's way of comparing his life to Job's. There is no hook in this song. It's presented as a story, just one long verse. Um, and here's how the story goes uh, in brief. So Absol begins with his diagnosis of Stevens-Johnson syndrome at age 10, which, according to him, had an 80% fatality rate at the time. He describes how this disease gave him severe pink eye, it ruined his lip skin, it gave him blisters all over his body. He mentions that girls in school wouldn't give him any attention because of how he looked. Um, But he eventually became friends with this girl, Lori Joe. Uh, she later became his girlfriend. 
uh, and he shows appreciation for her in the lyrics, uh, for her willingness to stick around with him, even as he was trying to make it in the music business as a rapper. Um, she understood because she was trying to make it in the business herself as a singer. Uh, they dated for seven years. Uh, uh, tragically, Alori Joe committed suicide in 2012. She jumped from a radio tower. Um, at this point, Absol describes the thoughts on her passing and his attempts to cope. Um, I'm just going to read what he says because I love it. it. says, So now I'm so doped up, I think I'm flying. I hope this spliff will never finish. I guess the Mayans went lion. 2012, my world ended. You used to say that I could see the future. You were wrong because you were in it. I was just with you the day before. You said you loved me. I said I loved you more. As much as I want to cower and bid the mic adieu and fall off a fucking tower trying to find you, I gotta stay because I remember that day. I looked you in the face and told you nothing can stop me, not even you. And you can hear him choke up as he's saying that, and it's a really powerful moment. Um, so afterwards, he, he brings the religious aspect of the Book of Job back into the song. He says, I still believe in God. We just never speak. Um, unless we're talking symbolically, then I might agree. But if you really want to look at it that way, then amen, God don't like me. Um, so it's, it's a pretty depressing song throughout, but he ends by reminding himself and his audience that nothing can stop him. He's going to keep persisting and keep having faith. And it's really a beautiful song. Um, that's all I really want to say about that. Absol, the Book of Soul, is my number five. Damn. Yeah, it's it's really super well done. It's like lyrically one of my favorite hip hop songs ever. I would definitely recommend. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's that's from uh, Control System, right? It's exactly right. Yeah, and he kind of ends. Yeah, with, that, that, yeah, it's like the end of the okay. album essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's an album I remember that I uh, started listening to because of like terrorist threats was an yeah. awesome song. Yeah, it's a it's a um, great underrated album for sure. Um, yeah, I just never ended up giving it. I don't think I ever ended up giving it its complete due because I never like ended up finishing it. But yeah, uh, I mean, some of those lines, I'm just like, whoa, uh, well done. So yeah, fantastic, nice, thank you. All right, let's let's move on to top four. Uh, our number, our top four. This is it. We're we're getting up there to the top. Are we doing okay on time? Also, by the way. Yeah, I think so. I think we're doing well. Okay, cool. Cool. Just wanted to make sure I didn't have to like cut some things down or anything. You're fine. Um, all right. So into the number four, we have a track that I'm sure everybody probably knows on this. And I feel like that was kind of an interesting thing on, on this uh, list for me, by the way, was just like a lot of tracks that I was like, I wanted it to be a little bit more obscure than it was, but there were so many tracks that were just so fucking good <laughs> that I was like, I couldn't deny them. Um, so anyway, I think that this might be, well, no, it might not be the most popular track, but it's probably pretty close. Um, and it's M83 with nice. Midnight City. Very nice. Very nice pick. Yeah. I mean, this track, I think, could be credited to being like one of the most obvious uh examples of why pop music or why like synth pop and you know is so prominent in in today's pop music and indie music and stuff i really think that this album and especially this song might 
take the whole like the 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 most of the credit for that because it's like a damn near perfect song mm-hmm. and it has one of the most memorable synth uh passages i've ever heard yes super catchy i mean it's it's one of the catchiest songs that i've ever heard too without having like with it being a a, a, a instrumental chorus instead of like a vocal chorus Mm -hmm. um because it's just verse 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 outro basically and as far as the lyrics go and the lyrics are um like they're not absolute levels of poetic (laughs) at all (laughs) but it's a it's just it paints a picture basically of just this teenage angst of uh and uh absurd optimism of being in the city and just like this very like sort of uh um just admiration for city lights and city energy and things like that so it's not anything like too crazy but it it goes along with the aesthetic of the rest of the track um i mean yeah it like in depth there's like not much to say from this but this song is like the most i think maybe the most listenable song of the decade and like i would be very shocked to hear anybody say like nah i didn't really care for it <laughs> i would be very interested to hear like you know your thoughts on it if you were like no it's not really my thing because it's just for me undeniably uh just grand and i don't and it just puts a smile on my face every single time i listen to it um yeah and so yeah it, it, incredibly influential in a way Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, MA3 is an interesting group. They haven't put out something as good as this in a while, but I'm I'm still always looking out to them because of how fucking good this song is. So yeah, love this track. God, that is an awesome pick, and uh, um, one that should have been obvious in retrospect. But um, the the outro is another like worthy inclusion. Yeah, if you would have done that. That's a great song as well. Um, yeah. A lot of really, really great songs on that album. Or, yeah, on that album. Yeah, it is a double album. It's a little bloated, but when it hits, it's, like, incredible. Um, it's very nice. Very nice pick, Patrick. I like that one a lot. Um, yes. My number four, more indie, indie rock, Drunk Drivers, Killer Whales by Car Seat Headrest. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Love this song. This song is literally about drunk driving, but it's also about why the narrator is drunk in the first place Uh, it's about negative empty feelings it's about using alcohol to cope with those emotions and it's about obviously making bad decisions under the influence of alcohol you know you take the first chorus where will toledo says we are not a proud race it's not a race at all we're just trying i'm only trying to get home drunk drivers drunk drivers This is not a good thing. I don't mean to rationalize or try and explain it away. It's not okay. So this can be interpreted literally as in, you know, I know it's not okay to drink and drive. Um, It can also be interpreted as knowing that it's not okay to abuse alcohol as a coping mechanism. And it's not okay to continue living with this negative mindset, this negative lifestyle that causes you to want to drink in the first place. Um, so during the drunk driver's half of the song, we're provided these sentiments as well as 
indie rock instrumentation that features both garage rock sounds and synths. It's a little Cars influenced. Um, it's mm-hmm. in, it's enjoyable enough. Don't get me wrong. Um, but then after the second chorus, we have this abrupt transition to the second half of the song, and that's where the instrumentation really kicks in. Um, the killer whales portion of the song. So this section is much more rockin' and energetic. This this section is more rockin'. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're back to it. Yes. Um, the vocals are they're much more passionate here. Uh, Will Toledo yells over and over, it doesn't have to be like this, it doesn't have to be like this, it doesn't have to be like this, killer whales. So he's saying it doesn't have to be like this in regards to the self-destructive behavior discussed in the drunk driver's portion of the song. The killer whales thing... Uh, Will uh, Will Toledo had watched Blackfish around this time, and so he's comparing animal captivity to drunk drivers in a way. They both have this unnecessary existence. You know, the the killer whale kept in captivity at SeaWorld, I forget his name, uh, led to... Uh, Shamu, I think. Was it that one? It might have been a different one, but... um, Maybe it's a different one. Yeah, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. Anyway. But yeah, it it led to three human deaths. Um, So it doesn't have to be like that. You know, we don't have to have this environment in which people die because we're keeping killer whales there for show. Um, So it's a song not only about driving while drunk, but also about learning how to live a more positive life, which will certainly prevent drunk driving in the future. It's, it's about attacking the problem at the source. It's about fixing the problem from within. And uh, it's, it's such a well-written song. It's, it shows Will Toledo's ambition as a songwriter, his catchiness, his ear for what sounds good and what different styles make sense together. Um, just a, a killer track. Uh, Drunk Drivers, Killer Whales, number four. Nice. Yeah. That is a fantastic pick. I love, love that. Love love that song. So, yeah. Nice. All right, top three. That's right. Top three. Here we go. Top this is, three. This is crazy. Um, so, top, my number three is, oddly, not my longest track. On my list, mm. which might give away to you what my longest track is, yes. even though this track is 13 minutes long. <laughs> um, so I, I know, I know the longer one. I know the longer one. I'm not sure what this one is. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So this one is from uh, my artist of the decade, Kamasi Washington. Yes. Um, and it was hard going through going through uh, his stuff and picking out the track that I thought was like the most representative. But oddly enough, it is the most accessible track that I think that he's put. Out. Well, maybe not the most accessible track, but like the most accessible project he's put out, and the standout track from that, which is "Truth" mm-hmm. from his "Harmony of Difference" EP. Nice. Um. So basically, you know, the whole EP can be distilled into this one track because the motifs are played throughout the entirety of the uh, um, EP in, like, you know, various different ways. So you got, like, smooth jazz, you've got a lot of guitar jazz, like, there's a lot of, like, different elements that are being interpolated in there. Um, and everything is is um, being brought with this... Uh, idea of 
desire, perspective, and you know everything ultimately ends up in the final track, truth, which the idea is that all these ideas that have been taken throughout the EP of um, humility, knowledge, perspective, integrity, basically human, like what, what we would view as important integral human um, uh, ideals or, or you know, uh, basically what makes a person a, a good person, somebody that can live with others and make something that's not like fucked up. Um, ultimately distills down into truth which is something that everybody is searching for um and this song or this track moves through like three different parts of choirs and guitar and piano work and like all sorts of really really grand gestures and you know of course Kamasi's signature saxophone which is just fucking fantastic always yes um but like the picture that it paints is like a very like cosmic kind of idea basically of just like very ethereal and it just like sort of this uniting like under one general idea of like this is not you know what we have in a social context with each other and all of the disparity that we have between cultures and things like that is not like the only thing and that we are actually you know closer than we think when it comes to this perspective of a cosmic sense right like where we are in the universe and as a race of humans so you know the mm-hmm. concept's been thrown around a lot but i love that i i love that idea because I, it is truth that is actually true that's we we're we're all people and we live on a singular planet in the middle of a cosmos and that they, you know, that's what it all ultimately boils down to, and I think that the way that it's captured on this track is so beautiful and like almost tear jerking in a way, um, because of just how grand the instrumentation is, how lively and colorful everything feels. Um, it really just makes you just want to like, like get up and just really like I don't know just just run around or something I don't know there's a lot of energy to it that makes you just feel really really good about yourself and hopeful about the world and um, it's an oddly very very positive uh, and existentially charged jazz track it's another example of Kamasi Washington's like real genius in the jazz world and I love it I think it's fantastic so that's really all I have to say about it. It just gets me super excited listening to this uh, track. What a great pick that is. I love that. Um, love it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love Kamasi. Your artist of the decade. Mm-hmm. So, that's yeah. the boy. My, my number three. Uh, so as you alluded to, um, and I'm going to start going a little faster with my picks. Sorry about that. Um, so oh, that's okay. one of our first podcasts was our list of the top 15 songs of 2015, as you alluded to. This is a podcast that began with me saying that we'll be discussing, quote, the top 10, 15 songs of 2015. <laughs> we just kept on we yes. kept on going instead of starting over, uh, though it was only like a minute yeah. into the podcast, if that. Um, An iconic under-the-scope moment. <laughs> absolutely. So that was, that was one of our first episodes, all right. Um, so 
A anyway, this song didn't even make my top 15 that year. That's the point. It was one of the three honorable mentions that we briefly touched on before getting into our lists. It is incredible how much opinions can change over the years. That's the point. So this song wasn't in my top 15 in 2015 alone, and now it's my number three song of the entire decade. This song is Depressin by indie singer-songwriter Courtney Barnett. Wow, nice. Okay. Love, love, love this song. Has a lot of staying power because it doesn't result to trends. It results to what's good about songwriting. Um, great instrumentation, great lyricism, uh, a great lyrical narrative. Um, yeah, the instrumentation here is great. Has wonderful guitar work. Uh, has this relaxing atmosphere. But the lyrical narrative is, once again, my biggest takeaway. Uh, she sings about... On all of her songs, she sings about everyday topics with this deadpan delivery, um, but she uses these mundane topics as a vehicle to share her thoughts on deeper ideas. So Depreston is a song about looking at a house for sale in Preston, Australia, uh, but it's really a song about guilt and mortality. The, the song title is a portmanteau of Depression and Preston, where the house is located, mm -hmm. Depreston. So I love Courtney Barnett's approach to lyricism, as I always do. Uh, she paints a vivid picture with her storytelling. She begins the song by explaining some of the reasons why they're looking for a new house. You know, you don't... She's like, oh, well, we don't have to be around all these coffee shops anymore. And, you know, that's not an issue because I'm saving $23 a week by uh, by making my own coffee at home. Um, just really trivial stuff. And, you know, the, the real estate agent is showing her the house and they talk about the garage and the garden. Uh, and then the agent tells her that the house is cheap because it's a deceased estate. And then this bit of information changes Courtney Barnett's entire perspective. Now she doesn't even care about the house. Well, she kind of does, but she's more concerned with the previous owners and with mortality. You know, buying a house seems like such a permanent decision, but it isn't any more permanent than death. So part of her doesn't want to buy the house and change it because this house is a living testament. It's like a memorial to the lives of the previous owners. But part of her is also concerned with what she wants for herself, which also makes her feel guilty. Uh, her own concerns feel a little trivial after finding out about the previous owners. I mean, it's just $23 a week on coffee. What's that anyway? Um, she illustrates this conflict a little bit in the lyrics. And, you know, she's kind of going back and forth between, you know, do I preserve this house as a testament? Do I do what I want with it? Uh, she says... Then I see a handrail in the shower, a collection of those canisters for coffee, tea, and flour, and a photo of a young man in a van in Vietnam, and I can't think of floorboards anymore, or whether the front room faces south or north, and I wonder what she bought it for. Um, so it's a song that makes me think about my own internal conflicts, about my own mortality, my guilt. Um, it's a pretty profound song in that regard. It says a lot with a little... And that's pretty much all I'll have to say. You know, this song can generate a lot of deeper discussion on many different issues, but, you know, unfortunately, we don't have the time to get into that, maybe on the philosophy podcast later on. Um, so, yes. Yes. Which we will be doing. Ab absolutely. <laughs> so shout out to Courtney Barnett, Depressed, and my number three song of the 2010s. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. It is such a good song, dude. It, great album as well. Just, oh my God, I love, I love Courtney Barnett. I love I love that uh, and I love the acknowledgement of the uh, tastes change. You listen to things that you didn't listen to before. Blah blah blah. Like that. Is yes. A, that's an important thing to acknowledge. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, let's do it. Number Top two. two. Number two. 
Number two. Um, so this one is my longest song of the uh, of of my list, and one of the longer songs of the decade. Yeah. Um, it is Sufjan Stevens yeah. with Impossible Soul. Yep. Very um, nice. <clears throat> yes, the outro track to Age of Odds, which is a very interesting album. Um, you know, the it, 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 the more you listen to it, the more it, it, there's a lot of really interesting imagery to it and symbolism. But ultimately, everything gets like the entire idea behind Age of Odds is almost completely expressed in. I mean, it's a 25 minute song, so it's long enough to do that, but it's still as much ambition is put into that album there's even more that's put into this track um as you know it is 25 minutes long so it's an extremely long track but it doesn't ever feel like you're you know you don't ever feel like oh my god when is this going to end at any point partially because it's broken up into like four parts um you know four or five depending on how you you know the, look at it but distinctly about four parts so it's about four or five tracks in one so you know that kind of helps to to subvert this illusion of, of a 25 minute long track actually being not one singular song um but also because every part of this is so interesting and there's so much being put into it and it's structured in a way that makes complete narrative sense and so it pulls you in and you really want to know what is going to happen towards the end of it um and so basically you know this it, it starts off and the entire thing is basically just a, a complete breakdown of sufyan's uh, relationship with this person and self-analysis and really just like digging deep into like why they love each other why they or what they you know don't love about each other what their internal conflict is things like that um there's this mantra that gets repeated throughout the don't be distracted don't be distracted really trying to find like truth in um their relationship and truth within themselves um it breaks apart from you know the standard like uh, Sufjan folky sound to this very dancey chorus to this uh, you know v- uh, really weird warped auto tuned uh, messed up version of Sufjan who's really like uh, digging at himself and like you know self deprecating and things like that. Um, I don't know. It's hard to break down this song in like a couple of minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so like, like even as much as I'm saying right now, there's so much to this. Um, and the symbolism that Sufjan is known for in his lyrics is brought forward in such an amazing way on this track too. Um, it's just a masterpiece of a track. I think that Sufjan did an amazing job with it. It captures this, very heartbreaking um very heartbreaking concept of you know breaking down a relationship basically and ultimately ends up in this kind of dispassionate admission of 
maybe all we really wanted from each other was pleasure. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, kind of a very sad realization, you know, maybe that's enough, but it's kind of like they ultimately resolve in, in a, in a way that's sort of dissatisfying for both of them. Um, so it's a fantastic track. It feels like every single time you listen to it, you feel like you're going through like an entire experience. So I, yeah, it's uh, I love it. It's like a it's like a modern day symphony in a way. Yeah, that's um, I I figured this one would be on your list somewhere, but yeah, holy cow, this is an epic. Um, mm-hmm. well done. Um, yeah, very nice pick, Sufjan. Uh, I kind of forgot Age of Odds came out love this it. decade. It feels like forever ago. Yeah, but um, Age of Odds. Yeah, I mean it was twenty ten. I think it was like right. one of the first yeah but yeah all right yeah um my number two is the one song on my entire list that i could have seen being on your list and it was it's uh helplessness blues by fleet foxes oh nice yeah so great folk band fleet foxes this is a a beautiful song uh robin pecknold just has the most stunning voice um there's great folk instrumentation throughout it's it's simple at first but it progresses and swells and becomes dramatic Uh, Lyrically, this is a bit of an existential song about coming to realize that you aren't as unique or as special as you might think you are and why that might be all right, actually. Uh, This is a rejection of individualism. Uh, According to Pecknold himself, it's about, quote, a desire to cultivate something more than oneself. You know, he wants to find meaning. He wants to be part of something greater than the individual self you know i I suppose this song shares a lot of the same themes as total football from earlier on my list um you know here you have the narrator questioning and debating with himself you know i want to be unique but i want to be you know as he says it a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me uh you know if i know one thing it's that i don't know anything at all Uh, How much control do I really have? You know, these are some of the concerns and debates that he has with himself on this song. Uh, It it all culminates in this glorious outro with, you know, large instrumentation and gargantuan vocals. Uh, The lyricism in this outro is pretty optimistic, actually. You know, at at some points he, or, you know, at some point in his life, rather, he, he thinks he will have found meaning and that he will have found what he desires. And he sees himself working on this orchard that he's always wanted to work on and uh, and he'll own a store and everything. You know, this is this is kind of a, a satisfying conclusion. Uh, and this is one of the best sounding songs on my entire list. Um, and I appreciate the sharing of his internal conflict throughout the song. Um so shout out to Fleet Foxes. They're just incredible. Uh, Helplessness Blues, my number two of the entire decade. And that gives us each about five minutes or so, maybe a little less, to talk about our number one of the entire decade. We're here. Our number yes. one songs of the 2010s. This is this is crazy. And this was a hard a hard one to do for me. Yes. Um, but it ultimately, I mean, this whole list was really hard. But this ultimately ended up at a fairly obvious pick Mm. honestly um one that like a lot of people i'm sure will share Mm -hmm. and like i said before i was like kind of hoping like oh man i want a little bit more obscure like kind of more (laughs) distinct but this song just means so much to me um in terms of my you know music taste how it is now 
um, as you know, like how how I was as a person then, as a, as opposed to how I am now. Um, and musically, it's just phenomenal. It is you know one of the most ingenious tracks that I've heard now in this decade, and you know just in general, is Kanye West. Yeah, with run with Runaway. Very nice, very nice. Um, yeah, I mean. I don't, there's not much that I can say like about this that hasn't been just vocalized to, from everybody, from critics to Kanye stands to, you know, Kanye haters even. Um, but I'll just say like, it's interesting now talking about Kanye in this context because of, you know, kind of just like all the shit that we've gone through with them <laughs> over the past couple of years and everything. And, just looking back at this era of Kanye is interesting because of just how honest this feels. Um, I don't think we've ever gotten Kanye as honest as we have in this album and especially on this track. Because, you know, while this track might feed this idea of like, yeah, it's okay to be a dick, it's okay to be an asshole. It's honestly kind of a bit of a cautionary tale because it, you know, it's Kanye really recognizing the effects that he's had in the past with, you know, it, with recency in this album's context, I guess, with the Taylor Swift thing um, and then just in general, just his outspokenness and t- basically telling his loved ones, like, you should not be around me. Run away, you know, don't don't like put yourself at risk like i'm not good um he's praising his you know work his influence and he's praising the fact that you know sometimes it takes this asshole mentality to really bring about some honesty of what you feel but you should not trust me for love and i don't think that that's something that should be taken very lightly and i think that kanye realizes that and um he expresses it very well on this. Um, instrumentally, it's just absolutely, it's, you know, fantastic. It's inspired so much hip hop over the past 10 years. Um, and it, it, uh, it ends with, you know, what I think is just an ingenious section of Kanye basically taking half of the song in severely distorted <laughs> auto tune and just vocalizing over it over these you know really really gorgeous lavish strings um i think that it's just a really great breakdown of kanye as a person Mm. kanye's you know recognition of who he is in bad and good terms um i think that this one is the testament Mm. to what kanye west is as a musician and a person overall so you know yeah it's the best song of the decade very very well said yes we did it great my list great pick worthy pick um if if not slightly conventional but that's okay there's nothing wrong with that right but but, yeah but but in a way it's a testament to the song is that you know a lot of people love that song and um yeah yeah no that's great justification i i can't argue that at all runaway is a a worthy choice as your number one of the decade so well done well done on your list patrick i really like it yes yes thank you yes so 
My number one is, it's unconventional, I think. Some might call it a hot take. Probably not that because it's not popular enough to be a hot take. Um, Okay, nice. This is is just my opinion, right? So just like Depreston, this is another song from 2015 slash my favorite musical year ever, I think, um, that grew on me throughout the remainder of the decade. Uh, My number one favorite song of the entire 2010s was my number 12 of 2015 when we recorded that podcast many years ago. I, I never, ever would have predicted this would be number one for the decade, but here we are. Wow. My number one is a song called Dark Comedy Late Show by hip-hop artist... Wow. Open, yep, by Open Mike Eagle. Dark Comedy Late Show. So this has a wonderful hip-hop instrumental. I'll start there. Shout out to Exile on the production. It's a reinterpretation of the instrumental he used on an earlier Open Mike Eagle song titled Dark Comedy Morning Show. So it's a bit of a remix. You know, this production has the same samples and everything, but it's reimagined into something more vibrant. And, you know, this one slaps. Like, this this is this beat is just awesome. Mm-hmm. The different parts of the production are accented at different parts of the song. Sometimes the guitar has the spotlight. Other times it's the vocal samples um, that are doing the heavy lifting. It's just an outstanding beat. So this song is called Dark Comedy Late Show. So thematically, this song acts as the opening monologue of a hypothetical late night talk show, uh, a format that has been very prevalent this decade, and they have only gotten more frequent and more socially conscious in recent years. There are so many of these shows, it's really hard to keep track. and uh, Dark Comedy Late Show is a, it's somewhat of a spoof on the format while being just as insightful, uh, if not more so. There's no hook on this song because it's an opening monologue for a talk show. There are no hooks. Um, this is essentially Open Mike Eagle riffing and ranting about topics that were relevant in 2015 and are just as relevant today. Um, you know, he has so many memorable thoughts and lines on here. He he shares his thoughts on so many controversial stories and, uh, you know, moments that came to define the 2010s. Uh, I'll read some of my favorite lines because they're pretty, pretty profound and or insightful. Um, I can see the Super Bowls of the future, the Ferguson Blacks versus Missouri State Troopers, the privacy rights versus the personal computers, concussion researchers versus university boosters, I graduated college, I purchased all the extra books, I'm supposed to be living in a house with a breakfast nook. Joke's on me though, all this cheap alcohol and no Coke Zero. Uh, Later he says, our congress moves just like a cult could, invade invade Iraq 15 times in my adulthood, and we quit asking for the reasons and just clicked the constitution's terms of service agreements. And then another one of my favorite moments, he says, It's close to an all-out war, with kids being murdered just for being black and tall outdoors. They respond to demonstrations wearing Kevlar briefs when the main problem is nobody respects our grief. So, sometimes he's socially conscious and profound on this song. Other times he's just clever and funny. I I really like this line where he says he still checks Yahoo because they both have attachment issues. Like, I thought that was a pretty clever double meaning there. Mm. Um, you know, whether he's being profound or just funny, he shares his thoughts on so many topics, including race relations, war, privacy, uh, the economy, Spotify's treatment of musicians, uh, the uh, education system, the trend of being quote unquote pretend awkward on the internet, uh, U2 albums appearing in your iTunes randomly, being on NSA's candid camera, um, 
and of course, photobombing Jesus's selfies. Um, so strangely, this song is, it's odd, it's a little weird, but it works as a great, though somewhat somber, reflection of the 2010s as a whole. This song is still highly relevant now. Awesome production, awesome lyricism, a great mix of social commentary and humor. It's, among all these songs on my list, this is the one song where I can play it at any time. I'm always in the mood to listen to this song, and I can't say that about the rest of the songs on my list. So, Dark Comedy Late Show by Obed Mike Eagle is my number one song of the 2010s. That is a fantastic pick. Thank you. I, I, I love that. I haven't that's seen awesome. it on any list, but that's the one. I just I keep playing it all the time. Um, love it. So we did it, Patrick. With a with like a minute and a half left, we did our top yes. fifteen songs of the twenty tens. God, that was that was so much fun. That was really exciting. Um, we'll have playlists Great for list. you guys. You know, check our Facebook, check our Twitters. Um, we have playlists, Spotify and Apple Music. So check us out. I'll link our Twitters. Uh, in our, in the description, I probably won't link them. I'll just probably tell it, tell you what our ads are. I'm not that committed to giving you guys the playlist. Come on now. Um, thank you for joining me, Patrick. This was a lot of fun. Um, we're continuing to work on the albums of the decade podcast, but until then, or sorry, the albums of the decade blog list, top 50. Um, but we all, or we will be working on podcasts during that time as well. So, uh, now we're looking forward we're in the present again as far as podcasts go 2020 what's new what's coming up you'll see it on future podcasts great podcast patrick thank you for joining me yes thank you all for listening check out those playlists and um have a great day thank you <laughs>